So we're in a series we're calling What to Do When, and we're talking about some of those crossroads moments in our lives where we stop and say, okay, I know I can't keep doing what I've been doing. Something's got to change, but I want to make sure that, that I do this God's way. I want to make sure that I do this in a healthy kind of way. And today we're talking specifically about what do I do when I recognize that I'm drifting from God? And so we're going to talk today a little bit about what are the signs that you know you've been drifting in your relationship with God, and then far more importantly, what are you going to do about it? Hear me, this is an incredibly important topic at any given time in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, but it is particularly important right now, these days, given the pandemic and the, and the realities among us, uh, the bridge as a church family, you know, has historically for, for a long time now, 15, 16, 17, 1800, that gather on Sunday mornings uh, across our locations. And, and now in the pandemic, that's just simply not possible. And so maybe six, seven, eight, nine hundred uh, is a really good day for us in person. Of course, sometimes thousands of people are watching online and we're thrilled that you're with us online. But those are the realities of our times. I'm not here to say good or bad about that. I am here to say, though, that it's incredibly important that we recognize that during this season of social distancing, that if we aren't very, very intentional, the support mechanisms that have been a part of us keeping our relationship with God fresh will begin to just drift from our lives. The, the fellowship, the prayer time, the, the where two or three agree is touching anything. All, all those dynamics of the Christian life become less and less available to us. And before we know it, we wake up one day and we have drifted from God. So whether you're attending in person or you're online, uh, let's be honest. Some of you right now, if, if we were to do a survey, some of you right now would say, I am on fire for Jesus. Anybody here on fire for Jesus right now? I got one or two over here. I knew I'd get one or two over here. Come on. Yeah, I see some hands. I was, I was excited about that. I mean, your prayer life is intimate and powerful. Your fellowship with other saints is wonderful. You can't wait to get to church, whether in person or online, so you can do corporate worship. You're serving. You're in a bridge group, Zoom or in person. You're sharing your faith with other people. You're excited about your faith. You are on fire for God. Others of you perhaps are here going, I don't get what all the excitement's about. <laughs> I kind of like it. I, I kind of like the way that looks like it feels, but I just, I'm not sure I understand it. But some of you, if we're honest, some of us, if we're honest, have seen a time when we were closer to God than we are right now. When the fire burned hotter than it does right now. And maybe not right now. Maybe we just recognize that there have been seasons in our walk with God when we were at those highs and seasons when we were uh, at lower points, seasons when we were on fire and seasons when our wood was wet. I mean, we've all been there. In fact, if, if that's where you are right now, I need you to understand that that's natural for all relationships. I mean, put it in human terms, all relationships go through cycles. Is this true? It's true. I mean, you, you, you get to know somebody as fresh and alive and exciting and a lot of discovery going on. Eventually, if, as relationships grow, you, you get into conflict because you start recognizing we don't agree on anything. You know, the, I, I've done probably a half dozen weddings now. I've done 500 plus weddings in my lifetime, uh, 528 last count. I've done about a half dozen where they met online. And you know the hardest part about people that met through eHarmony and Match and all that stuff? They think they're just alike. 
I told one couple, I will not do this wedding until you have a fight. You gotta have a fight. Just because it's coming. And every married person in the room said, Amen. It's coming. You're not just alike, no matter what the computer says. That's so conflict comes. And then you work through the conflict, and that result is the relationship grows to another level. And then there's a richness in the relationship. And then if you get careless, start taking the relationship for granted, there's a staleness that comes, kind of a sameness that comes. And then when you come to those moments, it's either renewal or it's death. That's the reality of relationship because all relationships need to be maintained. Going to get an amen in the room. Okay. I love it when I start with universal amens. All relationships have to be maintained, whether human or spiritual. You ever seen those, those uh, church bulletin bloopers? Uh, where they meant to say one thing, but in fact, it came out differently. I saw one the other day when I was researching and preparing to share with you today. Irving Benson and Jessica Carter were married on October 24th in the church. So ends a friendship that began in their school days. (laughs) Do, Do you know why relationships go through cycles? In terms of human relationships, it's because we change. I mean, if if you're married, you've been married 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, your perspective on life is different than it was when you stood at the altar all those years ago. And if you and your spouse haven't grown together and and processed through all those changes together, then your relationship is going to get further apart. That's just the natural part of human relationships. And so relationships have to grow with the changes that are an inevitable part of, of life. Well, in terms of your relationship with God, God never changes but the, the whole dynamic of the Christian life is about growing in your faith. It's about maturing to be like Jesus. You've heard me say it if you've been around here very long. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much for you to stay the way you are. He wants you to grow. He wants you to get better. He wants you to mature. He wants you to become more and more like his son. And so whether we're talking about human relationships or your relationship with God, they have to be maintained. The writer of the Hebrews said it this way, to keep your relationship with God growing, Hebrews 2.1, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not So the question of the day, you don't have to respond, sit real still. The question of the day, has there ever been a time in your life when you were closer to God than you are now? If your answer is no, no, me and God are tight. We are, we're growing. We're, we're doing great. Then praise God. Go to the Bridge Princeton Facebook page this afternoon and tell us what you're doing so we can all do that too. Okay. If your answer is, well, yeah, maybe right now, maybe not right now, but I certainly have seen those cycles, uh, then lean in for the first group. You need today's message to help other people, to help me, to help others. And for most of us, it's so that we can watch and be intentional, pay careful attention to what we've heard, as the Hebrew writer said, so that we do not drift. So today's message, very simply, is what I call the ABCs 
of renewal, the ABCs of having a fresh relationship with God. We're going to spend most of our time on the A. We'll lean into the B and C, but let's get into it together, okay? The A stands for acknowledge. The B stands for believe. The C stands for commit. Acknowledge, believe, commit. Say it with me. Acknowledge, believe, commit. One more time. Acknowledge, believe, commit. Acknowledge means acknowledge the cause of my drifting. If I'm drifting from God, if I'm not as close to God today as I was at one point, then you got to acknowledge the cause of your drifting. The reason that's so critical in the beginning is that every, uh, every effect has a cause. Am I right? Every choice has a consequence. So if you want to know why or how you got to this drifting place, you have to figure out what you were doing or what, what, what caused your fire to die down, what caused your wood to get wet. You've got to isolate the cause. The good news is the Bible gives us a story of one of Jesus' disciples who, uh, who went from one of the most intimate relationship with, with Jesus of anybody on the planet in his day the inner circle, the three within the 12, to a point of denial and back. So we've got the story. All we have to do is unpack it and understand it. So if you brought your Bible, you can go to Mark chapter 14 and whatever translation that you love to read from, you can go to the Bridge NC app. All of the scriptures are there. Just go to notes and call it up. You'll get all the scriptures. We're going to put it on the screens for you as well. We're going to walk through the story, Mark chapter 14 of Peter who went from one of the Peter, James, and John, one of the inner circle three, to denial and back. And as we do, here's what I'm going to ask you to do, okay? Can I just pause and get real personal for a minute? Because this is a journey I've been on all week. Psalm 139. David said, Lord, turn your searchlight on me and see if there's anything in here that doesn't line up with what you want, show me who I really am. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do today. Just in the privacy of your seats, God, show me who I really am. Because God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much for you to stay where you are. Peter went on this journey. Seven steps from inner circle intimacy with God to not to denying that he even knew him. And if you're on that road, please, I beg you, be honest with yourself and God this morning. Step number one, the journey begins with overconfidence overconfidence. As Jesus is telling his disciples, he's gathered in what we refer to as the Last Supper. He's preparing them for what's about to come. <clears throat> I'm going to go and pray. Soldiers are going to come and arrest me. I'm going to go through a series of illegal uh, trials. I'm going to be beaten and tortured and ultimately killed. This is what's going to happen tonight. And as he's coming to an end of telling them and preparing them for what's going to happen tonight, he ends in Mark chapter 14, verse 27 with the words, you will all fall away, Jesus said. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He's saying, when the soldiers come for me, you're all going to go. And Peter says in verse 29, even if all fall away, I will 
not. I love the way the Bible says those kind of emotional things. And, and if you just kind of read over, it feels kind of formal. But I can promise you, it, it was more like, these wimps might do it, but I won't, buddy. Not me, man. Because I'm, I'm, I'm in tight with Jesus. Me and Jesus is tight. It's not going to happen to me. But hear me, the minute you get this idea that you can't drift from God, you've just taken the first step toward drifting. You've just taken the first trip. And the reason is that overconfidence often leads to step two, which is arrogance. Verse 30, truly I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Peter wasn't humbled by that. He was incensed by it. He was indignant about it. Look at what he did in verse 31. Even if I have to die with you, he said, I will never disown you. He's gone from carelessness, overconfidence, I should say, to this arrogance that said, it might happen to them, but even if I die, it will never happen to me. And if you're sitting there thinking right now, well, well, you know, that's, that, that's kind of hard. That's kind of harsh. The truth is it's easier to get there than you might think. I've had far too many conversations with Christians where another Christian will fail, another Christian will mess up, maybe a pastor will have a failure, and before you know it, judgment's coming out of their mouth, and they're being very judgmental about, well, you, they should know that choices have consequences, and they should know that, that if you do that, that's what's going to happen, and, and I don't know what, where they failed along the way, and before you know it, you're this judgmental spirit's coming out as though this could never happen to you. Can I tell you that every time I hear the story about a pastor that's had a moral failure, I don't get judgmental. I get broken. I grieve that another soldier has fallen in the battle because Satan goes after his, those soldiers and the body's going to be hurt and he's going to be hurt or she is and the family. It's gonna, the, the pain that's going to come from that, it breaks my heart every time I hear it. Guys, hear me. I do not live in fear of falling or even drifting, but I am not so arrogant as to believe it can't happen. So I'm always on guard. I'm always watching. Ladies, if I feel distant from you sometimes, it's because there's only one lady in my life that I'm going to get close to. <laughs> I married her 45 years ago. Sorry if I feel distant. Why? Because I'm guarded. I'm incredibly guarded. And so it's not that I'm scared. It's that I'm guarded. We read it last week. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. And one of the reasons it does is because arrogance leads to carelessness. From overconfidence to arrogance to carelessness. We start off in our relationship with God, developing habits that grow the relationship. But in time, if we aren't careful, if we aren't intentional, we start taking the relationship for granted. Is that true in marriage? Sit real still. Just kind of look at me. Is that true in marriage? You ever caught yourself taking your spouse for granted? Yeah. If you don't think so, ask your spouse. <laughs> They'd be glad to tell you. It happens. Parents and child and their relationships, friendships, take each other for granted. It's what we do. And it happens in our relationship with God too. And hear me. So hear me guys, the habits that you developed 
When you first started your relationship with God, spending time in God's word, spending time in, in prayer, I, not just emergencies, oh God, I need your help now, but, but communing, intimate, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in grace, breathe out junk, breathe in grace all day long, this kind of living, breathing relationship, giving and, and serving and, and doing the one another's, honor one another, encourage one another, love one another, serve one another, the, the one another's. Being in community with your fellow Christians, those things that you developed early on, if you allow yourself to be so arrogant as to believe that you can't drift from God, then you'll tend to get careless about those things that help you stay on fire. Peter let his arrogance lead him to carelessness, and it cost him. It cost him big. Here's how Mark described it after the Last Supper. Jesus and his disciples went down to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He posted eight of them at the edge of the garden and said, okay, I need you to hang out here so that I've got time to pray before the soldiers take me away. He took the three, Peter, James, and John, that were closest to him with him a little bit further in, and he posted them as a second wave closest to him, and then he got alone to pray, and that's where he prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. And nevertheless, thy will be done, not mine. Having prepared them for what was coming, having prayed in such intensity that his sweat became as drops of blood, he comes back and he finds the three that are closest to him. Anybody guess what they're doing? They're having a worship set. They, they got Pastor Ricky leading them in a powerful song. All I am is yours. That's what they're doing, right? No, they're asleep. Look at verse 37, 38. Simon, Peter said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now, please don't be too hard on Peter, James, and John. They just had a huge Passover meal. It's late at night. The natural thing to do is go to sleep. Right? It's the human thing to do, which just serves to illustrate the point I'm trying to make to you. Getting careless is the natural thing to do. It happens to all of us if we aren't intentional. Let me ask the question this way. Is it easier to go out to dinner or go out to the gym? I'll take that laughter as a, oh me. <laughs> Guys, we got to identify the things that keep our batteries charged and then be intentional about keeping those habits alive in our lives. What did Jesus say in verse 38? If you don't, you, you, if you don't keep alert and pray, temptation will overpower you, which is exactly where Peter is headed. And carelessness has set him up for the fourth step in this journey, which is fear of what people think. Soon after that prayer time, the soldiers came. Judas, some of you know the story, Judas came and kissed Jesus on the cheek. It was a, a kiss of betrayal to identify him. The soldiers took him into custody for a series of illegal trials. They took him to the, to the priest's house for illegal trials and unjust trials that led ultimately to torture, torture and his crucifixion. The Bible says that Peter followed to see what would happen, but look at how he followed Jesus. This is huge for us. Mark chapter 14, verse 54. Peter followed him where, how? 
What? At a distance. He was so worried about being associated with Jesus, he wanted to make sure that he was close enough to see him, but far enough away that he wouldn't be identified with him. You see, it's one thing when Jesus' popularity was huge and thousands of people came to hear him teach. Peter was glad to be identified with him then. He was glad to be one of the guys that passed out the fishes and the loaves that kept multiplying until 5,000 men plus women and children were served that day. He was glad to be seen with the man then, but now it's going to cost him something to be seen with Jesus. And there's a hesitance. There's a back off. There's a distance that Peter's created to protect himself. Hear me, guys. One sure sign that you're drifting from God is when you find yourself embarrassed to talk to unbelievers about your faith. One of the sure signs there's no way I'm keeping a Bible on my desk at work. Somebody might say, hey, there's one of those Jesus freaks. No, 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 I'd just rather not get into that at work. No way I'm bowing my head in a restaurant to pray. Somebody might see me. That's the point. <laughs> I was in a restaurant with some friends uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and I just happened to notice across the way a couple uh, bowed, held hands, and prayed. And, and uh, uh, later, a few minutes later, the waitress came along, and I said, when, when you're ready to prepare that couple's check, would you bring it to me? And, uh, and they did. And, and I wrote them a note that said, I saw you praying. I just wanted to honor you. And I paid for their breakfast that morning because I wanted them to know that's a good thing to do. No way if, if an off-color joke is told at work that I'm going to say anything, they'll think I'm one of them holy rollers. No, no, no. That's the point, guys. Hear me, if you're struggling with that, you need to know what Jesus says about it. And these are some of the harshest words he uttered in his entire earthly ministry. Verse 38 of Mark 8, if anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be, can we read that together? The son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory. In other words, there is no such thing as a secret agent Christian. Hi, the name is Wall, James Wall. Walking around with a trench coat, identification inside. You run across another Christian, you flash your badge. See, yeah, I'm a follower too, but don't tell anybody. Now, I understand in the first century, they had what they call the sign of the fish, Igthus which was a code to say, hey, you saw the sign of the fish, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But that's because if they were too vocal about it, they picked them up and, and they became lion food. Ain't none of us worried about being lion food. Come on, it's getting quiet in here. But it's why one of my challenges to you today is to ask yourself the question, how many unsaved people know about my relationship with Jesus? And if you can't identify them rapidly, it might be a sign that you're on this journey of drifting. Nobody's here to judge. Nobody's here to beat anybody up. But we are all trying to make an honest assessment of where we are so that we can turn this corner. Overconfidence often leads to arrogance, which leads to carelessness, 
which leads to a fear of what people will think or do, which number five leads to sinful pleasure. After a while of following at a safe distance, when they got to their destination, Peter decided to go ahead and join them. It was a cold night and they built a fire. And so he just came on down in and gathered around the fire. Verse 54 of Mark 14, for a while, he actually sat with the guards warming himself by the fire. Jesus, wrap your brain around this. Jesus is, is inside on trial for his life. And Peter is with the enemy warming himself by their fire. That. I don't know if that's hard for you to believe, but it's true. It's also true that it, it happens so easily. You know, we've, we've, we've walked with God. We've tasted his love. We've recognized his grace. We've, we've come to enjoy his goodness. He's set us free from, from bad habits and destructive patterns and, that were killing us. And he, he gave us healthy relationships. But because of overconfidence or arrogance or carelessness or fear of what people will think, without even realizing what's happening, we wake up one day and we're doing the things that trapped us in the beginning. We're falling back into the systems for self-medicating that we used to fall into. And we don't even know how we got there. I read a teaching some time ago that I've done not a lot of research on, but enough that I feel confident to talk with you about it. I don't know how many of you embrace fasting as a discipline in your Christian faith. If you don't, let me encourage you to try it. We do that every so often. We'll, we'll fast one meal a day or one thing for a period of time, and, and no doubt we will do that again uh, this winter. But uh, at some point, we'll kick that off, and we'll all go together. But, uh, but let me encourage you to, to study about uh, fasting Jensen Franklin's book on fasting, maybe the best one out there that I know about. Pick it up and read it. Uh, Elmer Towns has got a great book on biblical fasting. You can pick that one up as well. It's a really, really good read. Helps you to understand different types of biblical fast. But here's the deal. Here's what I learned. I've done a lot of one-day fasts. I've done a few three-day fasts. When, when you do a three-day three day fast, that first day is hard. The second day, you're hungry and you're tired. The third day, something happens. I won't ask you if you've done this before, but so you may just take my word for it. But on the third day, something happens and you aren't hungry. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're just not hungry. You're thinking, man, I, I could keep going. That first couple of days was tough, but I could, keep, I could just keep going. What you, you may or may not realize is that what's happened is your body has, has kicked over and now it's feeding on itself. You're not hungry because it's eating the fat reserves. And I'm good enough to live on for a month, so I'm, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> but it starts eating muscle reserves too. And when it runs out of that, it starts eating organ tissue. The body starts eating itself. That's what happens. Um, now, here's what you need to know. You, you can only live without water for a few days. You can live without food for several weeks. But eventually, here's what happens, and if you study the history of this, there's people that have gone on, on starvation fast for political reasons or whatever else. Uh, somewhere along that way, day 60 or something, you will wake up blind. And if you keep going, you won't wake up at all. That's what happens. And so here, here's what I'm saying in the midst of all of that, is that the same thing is true in the spirit. You can go a day or two 
or three without praying, without reading God's word, without worshiping. You can go a week or two without being in the house of God or among the people of God in corporate worship. You can go a day or two or three or a month or, or more without feeding your soul and you may not even realizing what's, you may not even realize what's going on, but in fact what's happened is that your soul is feeding on your soul because you aren't replenishing until one day you wake up having been confronted with a temptation and you don't have the reserves to resist it. And you start doing things you never thought you'd do, saying things you never thought you'd say, landing in places you never thought you'd go. So can I beg you, don't wait till you're at step five in this journey to go, oh man, I'm drifting. Stop every now and then and say, God, how are we doing? How are we doing in our relationship? I need to warn you, and I'll move on. If you find yourself at that place where you're getting your warmth from the world's campfire, you're going to get burned. Put it in real succinct terms. If you find yourself stressed out and in need of peace and your inclination is to go get a drink or toke a little something instead of going to the Prince of Peace, it's an indicator you've gone a long ways down this road to drifting. Find yourself in need of advice. You'd rather go to your unbelieving friends for counsel than to go to the word of God and the counsel of the faithful. You're on a downward spiral, which always leads eventually to number six, which is denial. Pick up our story in verse 66. While Peter was in the courtyard, one of the servant girls came by. When she saw Peter, she looked at him closely. You were also, you, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus, but he denied it. It may, you may find it hard to, to believe that one of Jesus' disciples, a guy who, who lived with him, traveled with him, uh, did ministry with him for three and a half years, who heard his teachings, saw his life, witnessed the miracles, that somebody's going through that, could possibly get to the place that he would actually deny that he is a follower of Jesus Christ. But hear me, if you get your warmth at the enemy's fire, denial's just around the corner. That was true for first century Christians. It's true for 21st century Christians. By the time you get there, your next step is only moments away, and it's open rebellion. Open rebellion. Some of the others around pressed the point with Peter, and they said, whoa, whoa wait a minute. No, I, 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 I recognize your accent. You're, you're from Galilee. You're, you're one of those. You're one of those guys. And Peter, in an attempt to prove to them that he was not a follower of Jesus Christ, he went off. He went off big time. Verse 71 and 2, he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Wow, that's amazing. How is that even possible. Pastor Jim, that could never happen to me. Don't kid yourself. Any step along the path that I'm describing to you today will inevitably lean to the end of the, lead to the end of the path unless you change direction. Verse 72, immediately the rooster crowed the second time. 
Then Peter remembered the word Jesus has spoken to him before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. So again, before I do the B and C fairly quickly of our ABCs today, if you honestly recognize, if the Spirit is saying to you that you're on any step in this path from overconfidence to arrogance to carelessness to fear of what people will say to, to warming at the enemy's fire to denial or even open rebellion, can I beg you to stop right now confess it and repent today. Remember we talked last week, repentance is to express remorse and change direction. But Jim, you, you, you don't know how many times I've fallen. You, you, don't, you, don't know how far, you don't know how far I've gone. There's no way that God will forgive me, put me on the right path. If that's what you're thinking, you need to know that the enemy's got your ear because it ain't true. You need to know the B in revival and, and renewal, and that's you've got to believe that God's grace is available to you no matter what. Say it with me. God's grace is available to me. Come on. God's grace is available to me. Look at somebody and say, God's grace is available to you. <laughs> Too many people have this image of God as the, the cosmic policeman with a big stick waiting for a chance to zap you because you messed it up. And that ain't true. It's just not true. The truth is Isaiah 30, 18. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He's offering. He just needs us to accept. Truth is, your sins have already been paid for. The ones you've committed, the ones you ain't committed yet. They're paid for, 1 John 2, 2, when Jesus served as a sacrifice for our sins, he solved the sin problem for good, not only for ours, but for the whole world. What's the sin problem? The sin problem is that we have a holy God who created sinful, created holy men who chose sin so that we could be in relationship. Something's got to be done with a holy God and a sinful man. Somebody, justice requires, somebody did the crime, somebody's got to do the time, and Jesus did it. He paid for all the sins of all mankind across all the generations. No wonder when he was on the cross and he called out, why have you forsaken me? It's because he was carrying the sin of every gossip and every lie and every murder and every rape that had ever been committed across all of history and ever would be committed until Jesus comes again. You talk about weight. He was carrying the weight of your sins and mine. It was our sins that nailed him to the cross. But hear me, guys, that means Colossians 2.14. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Come on, give it up for grace. My sin is paid for completely. Now, if you think that means, okay, that means I can sin, then you don't understand what grace cost. All I'm saying to you, see, it's free to us, but it won't free. All I'm saying to you is when you understand God's love and understand God's grace, you're driven to live a holy life. You're driven to live worthy of the price that he paid, not as a means to be saved. He paid for your sins, but out of gratitude for what Jesus did for 
you. So if you find yourself drifting from him at any one of the stages that we've talked about today, don't pay the price. Jesus died so you don't have to. Acknowledge the cause of your drifting. Believe that God loves you and wants you back in intimate relationship with him, which leads us to the C of our ABCs. Commit to do your first works again. Book of Revelation tells us of a whole church that fell into this pattern of drifting, got lukewarm in their faith. Look what Jesus said about them. Revelation chapter two, verses four and five. Yet I hold this against you, Jesus said. You've forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Read that last sentence with me out loud. Repent and do the things you did at first. Do the things you did when you had that first blush of love with Jesus. Guys, that's true in any relationship. That's true in a marriage that's struggling. Go back to what you did when you first fell in love. I wrote poems and read them to Kim. I haven't written a poem in a long time. I think I'm going to write some poems today. I listened to her. I, we talked about visions and dreams and futures together. We went way beyond the homework of life. Who's going to do the dishes and did you buy groceries yet? It's true in any relationship. With God, he's saying, go back to those first moments. Think about what you did. Guys, when I first accepted Christ 50 years ago now, 51 years ago now, I went straight to my friends on the street corner and told them I got saved tonight. And they said, what? Saved from what? They didn't have a clue what I was talking about. I didn't care. I wanted them to know. I wanted them to understand what I just experienced. I won't tell you the nicknames I got after that, but that's okay. Because a few of them came to Christ eventually. I used to gather with my friends. We'd go down to the church. One of my friends was the pastor's son. He had a key to the church. We'd go down to the church late at night, pray two, three o'clock in the morning, just in the altars, praying, seeking God. No one begged me to join a small group. No one challenged me to prioritize my schedule so that I could be in intimate relationship with Christians. I made a testimony of my commitment to Christ and somebody came to me after the service that day and said, hey, we meet on Friday nights in my workshop. You want to come? I said, yeah. And it was in that, we called them cottage prayer meetings back then. It was in that cottage prayer meeting, 12 men, five of whom wound up in ministry, prayed for each other, encouraged one another. It was in that setting that I prayed that Jesus would not just be my Savior, but my Lord, that he would fill me with the Holy Spirit. It was in that setting that I accepted my call to ministry. It's in that setting that I got what I needed to quit smoking. It was in that setting. Oh, I love church, but it was in that setting where I grew. Nobody had to beg me to join a small group, take classes, study the Bible. And then life gets in the way of all that stuff. 
through the years when I catch myself drifting, this is, that's what I go back to. I mean, you've got your own list, but that's what I go back to. How's my prayer life? How much time am I spending in the Word, the Bible? How much time am I spending in fellowship with my fellow believers? How much, how honest, transparent am I being with fellow Christians about my struggles so they can pray for one another that I might be healed? How much, what, what am I doing? What, what, you identify your list, that's mine, but and when I do that, I feel the freshness well up in me again. So I challenge you to do the same. You'd be glad you did. I got to close. By the way, there's good news in our story. Verse 72, we left Peter, recognizing what he had done, breaking down and weeping. As we talked about last week, he didn't just show remorse. He repented. He changed. A few days later, just a very few days later, it was Peter who led the prayer meeting where the Holy Spirit showed up. It was Peter who walked out in the streets of Jerusalem and preached the sermon in which he said, you are complicit in the murder of the very Messiah that you've been praying for for hundreds of years and you need to repent. And 3,000 did that day and were water baptized. It was Peter that led the Jerusalem church. It was Peter that broke the ice with the Gentile world. It was Peter that wrote two books of the New Testament. No surprise, both of them emphasize this living in the light of love. Yeah, he went from intimacy to open rebellion. God brought him back to a higher place than he'd ever been before. So I don't know where you are in this journey. I'm going to hush, I promise. I want you to be at the highest place you've ever been with your sights on the future. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. For my children, for my grandchildren, that's what I want. Can we pray for that now? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We just want to know you. We want to know you in the power of your resurrection. We want to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings. We want to know you. We don't count ourselves to have arrived. We press toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Bringers, bring us, Lord, to higher heights and deeper depths with you. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a moment. I'll, I'll give you a chance to pray with me silently or aloud, but pray. If there was ever a time that you felt closer to Christ than you do now, here's your prayer. ABC, Jesus, show me where I am on this journey of drifting and help me to change direction today forgive me. Give me a fresh start today. I will accept grace, not beat myself up, but accept what you did for me on Calvary. And I commit to do my first works over. 
For those of you that have friends and family, we'll be talking next week. What do you do when somebody in your life is making destructive choices? What do you do about that? Maybe you want to pray for them today. Some people that you know are drifting. Pray now, Father. Help them to see the drift that I see. And if I'm wrong, then show me I'm wrong. But Lord, if they're drifting, would you show them? Would you speak to their hearts? Help them to be restored in relationship with you. And I thank you in advance for the joy that you're going to give us and the grace that's going to be extended simply because we embrace the A, B, C's. Acknowledge, believe, commit. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me this morning. Thank you so much for being with us today in person or online. I'm so glad you're in the Word of God with us and worship with us. I trust that God is speaking to you. Pastor Andy's coming in just a moment to dismiss us from this place in an orderly fashion, trying to make sure that we're maintaining social distancing. Can I, can I just be really honest with you that this thing is wearying, this pandemic's wearying to the soul. Can we just be honest about that? You just keep saying, okay, numbers are going to get better and, and this thing's going to change. But it's just protracted, guys. This is, we're, we're going on. In fact, I know more people with COVID-19 right now than I have in this entire journey. I think some of you probably would say the same thing. So let's not let our guard down. Let's, let's stay diligent. I... Uh, I don't want to be a prophet of doom, but I know churches that are getting calls from news organizations. They're trying to identify churches as super spreaders. That's what they're trying to do. And so we've got to be conscientious. We've got to be careful. We've got to be guarded uh, because Satan would love nothing better than to shut churches down. You with me? Thank you so much. God bless you. Father, thank you for the chance to be here, to be in this place, to be online, to be in fellowship with the saints. And I pray your blessing over everyone that gathered around your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.